HD Smartcast. You are listening to an HD Smartcast original. Hello, welcome back to a fresh new season of Health Charcha. I am Deepti Ahuja, podcast producer, HD Smartcast, and your host and host on this podcast, where we will discuss all of the burning health-related questions you, my dear listener, might have in mind. So let's begin. As much as we hate the pandemic, it has also brought with it a baby boom. Recently, UNICEF projected that approximately seven million unplanned pregnancies will take place, or probably have already taken place, during the COVID nineteen crisis. So it becomes our responsibility as a people to support new parents in all of it, their highs and lows, their firsts and their issues. One of the issues that my team and I would like to address, especially on this progressive and humongous platform, is that of congenital heart disease, the kind of disease that can affect a young one's heart at birth. Now. I understand that this is a very sensitive topic, and those families where newborns are affected by CHD will be overwhelmed at this point. If you, my dear listener, belong to such a family, you have our utmost empathy and understanding. And so, in this episode, to very simplistically help you through this journey, we have with us Dr. R. Krishna Kumar, clinical professor and head pediatric. Cardiology at Amrita Institute of Medical Sciences and Research Center, Cochin. Hi, Dr. Kumar. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Glad to know that you are. Uh, so, Doctor, what is congenital heart disease or CHD? So, it literally means that you have a defect in your heart, and it's amongst the commonest types of birth defects that afflict the human body. Mm-hmm. So, almost you know eight. In hundred or nine in hundred children are born with a congenital heart defect, and uh, so just in terms of numbers, it translates into a very large number of absolute numbers of children affected. So if you look at the Indian situation, we have approximately two to two point five lakhs children that are born every year with congenital heart disease, and many of them are quite serious. Yeah, about twenty five percent. About twenty five to thirty percent have. very serious heart disease that could threaten their lives in the first few months of life yeah it's quite shocking actually so um, and as compared to other countries right i mean you've spoken about india already so as compared to other countries how prevalent or uh, how much does it affect indians right chd it doesn't change anywhere the prevalence is the same you go to any country you still have that relatively fixed proportion of children who are born with congenital heart disease it's just right. that there are so many more babies born in india oh, and that's why yeah. you have a larger number that we have to deal with right right so it's got nothing to do with a certain kind of nationality nothing to do with a certain kind of situation it's just something that happens as a whole that is true there are right. finer issues like you know specific anomalies are more common in certain ethnicities but mm-hmm. overall broadly across regions across races across societies it's kind of fixed right and 
correct me if I'm wrong, but this is also called a blue baby syndrome, right? Could you tell us about it? And, uh, you know, this other thing that is associated with it, which is pulmonary valve condition. I'm so sorry. It's so difficult to even understand these medical terms. It's not. It can be made simple. Please do. So there are two two types of congenital heart disease. The ones that make you blue and the ones that don't. The ones that make you blue are the conditions where blue blood, which is low in oxygen, finds its way in the main circulation of the body. So there is a mixing of blood within the heart and in such a way that impure or low oxygen blood finds its way into the main circulation. And as a result, the baby appears blue. The oxygen saturation levels that you measure in these babies are always low, uh, variable. But it could be, you know, as low as in the 70s and 60s or just subtly altered, like in the low 90s, but they're altered. And this is uh, something that is classified as cyanotic heart disease Hmm. for blue babies. I hear you. And and the pulmonary valve condition, is it the same thing? Like you said, there were two types. So what's the other type? I'll simplify it. So when you come to cyanotic heart diseases... Yeah, a good proportion, of, a substantial proportion of them are because the pathway to the lungs, pulmonary means lungs, hmm. the pathway to the lungs is guarded by the pulmonary valve. Right. That pathway is blocked for some reason. Blocked oh. is partially blocked is stenosis, completely blocked is atresia. These are all Latin terms generally meant to confuse the layperson, but there isn't too much to it. So basically, there is less blood going to the lungs. And these, this reduced blood that is going, you know, because of the fact that the pathway to the lungs is blocked, this blue blood that is there on the right side of the heart Mm -hmm. has to find a way out. So it goes across a hole in the heart, which is also often present in these patients and goes to the other side which is not meant for this blue blood and makes the whole circulation, mixes with the whole circulation and reduces the saturations. Right. Makes a lot of sense suddenly. Like the, I can actually visualize everything that you've just said. Uh, now, apart from, you know, the baby appearing blue, what are the other symptoms of uh, this syndrome, this condition? So a lot of it has got to do with blueness itself. So if mm-hmm. you are having a normal oxygen saturation of 95 or above, you won't have any problem. But as it gets lower and lower, you get breathless. At a certain level, you would be breathless only on exertion when you run and play. But as it gets worse, then you would be breathless even at rest. So if the saturation falls to the 70s and the 60s, you would be breathless even otherwise. So these children are severely incapacitated by the fact that they chronically for every minute of their lives are living with low saturations. Right. And just in case, you know, uh, at birth, I mean, of course, a child cannot run at birth, but there must be other telling signs as well. What are those? So at birth, the most important thing or the first year of life, the most important thing the child does is to, you know, feed. So Mm. you could have feeding difficulties. And it's not necessarily with the cyanotic heart diseases where you have feeding difficulties. You have another category of conditions where you just have a simple hole in the heart and that shunts an excessive amount of blood flow to the lungs and that results in the child's inability to feed well and the child ends up growing very poorly. 
So right. the most important activity is feeding. The most important stress is anything that makes the baby cry. So if you have a cyanotic baby who's made to cry for any reason, hunger, mm. discomfort, fever, anything, then the cyanosis becomes more manifest, more apparent. Oh. and then sets off a vicious cycle because then the child becomes to starts to cry even more and then it becomes really bad and difficult to manage and we right. call it a cyanotic spell so these are things that we have to be really watchful for in managing these children right uh so what are the treatment options that are available for this disease or the you know the different kinds of variants also that you spoke of uh, this disease So, so I think we are talking about trying to manage little babies yeah. with heart disease. Even and adults. We should, we'll I mean, come to the adults yeah. later. Yeah. What yeah. I would say is, let's start with the babies. Yes. So, if you are born with a congenital heart defect, because I think your audience will be interested in knowing yes. what you know, mm. you know what they should, what kind of help they should seek. Mm. So, the thing that is most effective is mm. congenital heart surgery. So the thing, you know, the last thirty years, one of the most significant developments in medicine has been our ability to correct these complex defects and give these children a life. Hmm. These diseases were universally fatal. You know, maybe thirty, thirty-five years ago, especially you know, if you look at India, all hmm. these babies were dying. Right. But today, we can correct their heart defect through open heart surgery and give them a life. Hmm. So in many instances their lives are actually near normal they almost can go to school be active do everything that a normal patient does but they need continued careful follow up because we can never never recreate nature we can mm. do something close and we do leave behind aspects that need to be looked into in the next 20 years 30 years 40 years so that's where you need lifelong follow up which is right. where a lot of patients tend to you know default because they have the impression ki once surgery is done the child is fine we don't need to see the doctors again and i think that is the one that we have realized that particular change has happened that we have to actually follow up these children and look after the smaller issues that you know happen from time to time and make sure that we are even able to give them a even better quality of life right right so what are the different and you know of course there was something that you spoke in terms of children like grown up children also or even adults for that matter of fact so what kind of surgeries or what kind of treatment plans do these guys need so once you've had your surgery in childhood so majority of the children should be fixed in childhood so once you've had your surgery in childhood later on you run into difficulties in adulthood because of let's say the you know the valve that has been placed sometimes we place these tubes called artificial tubes called conduits mm-hmm. that doesn't grow with the child and you need to replace it from time to time or you need to come up with ways to manage the problem when they start getting narrow mm. or the valve that you've cut across to open up the pathway from lungs to the heart to the heart to the lungs that's called the pulmonary valve in the right ventricular outflow pathway that pathway is widely opened up and the valve starts to leak over a period of time the valve leaks to the extent that it starts to damage the chambers of the heart oh. and so we need to monitor for that and you know do something to prevent that from doing serious damage so right. these are the things that we have to be specially mindful and watchful for right this is so fascinating but you know uh, uh, dr kumar i'd really like to know how are the pulmonary uh, surgical valves or conduit failures 
how are they diagnosed how would you come to know that something has failed you have to check you know you have to have these patients come regularly for their follow up visits and uh, you can make out to some extent when they start reporting symptoms that they never had before typically they start reporting tiredness on exertion or breathlessness on exertion very often you don't wait for all that you do tests in anticipation that this would happen so you could do an mri test for example which really Absolutely. quantifies how much of the valve is leaking hmm. and you have a variety of means a ct or mri that actually tells you what exactly is happening to that conduit and what exactly is happening to the heart chambers so we can take guidance on those numbers and decide when we have to do something about it right you know uh, a lot of times uh, this disease should be ideally diagnosed at birth itself at a very young age uh, if a child is affected has been uh, diagnosed with this disease there's bound to be a lot of apprehension around surgery especially during this time so is there an option to sort of delay or manage surgery or even manage the next surgery for that matter of fact is there a way to reduce that kind of exposure Yes uh, so we are you know over the years we've had lots of advances in transcatheter therapy so they have started to replace a lot of things that the surgeons used to do but i want to make it very clear that the vast majority of babies with congenital heart disease can only be saved by the surgeon's knife the first surgery for instance we can't do we can't close the hole that is there in tetralogy of pallo so the first surgery has to be done by the surgeon it's during follow up that it becomes even the surgeons are not happy in going back in again and you know dealing with all the adhesions that happen because of the fact that the patient has been operated on previously so after mutual discussion with the surgeons we come to a decision as to who is an ideal candidate for a surgical valve replacement and who needs a catheter valve or mm. uh, so that's one of those ways in which you can alleviate catheter valve represents one of the most advanced developments in the field of interventional cardiology but the important thing to realize is that we have to work in collaboration with the surgeon and not in competition with the surgeons right we all have to work together as a team to give the best possible result to the patient so mm. we need these centers these programs that have the surgeons the cardiologists the imagers the radiologists all work together to try and give the best possible result to the patient one of those options is transcatheter valve therapy uh what is it exactly i mean i i understand that this is something that happens after the first surgery is done and you can always correct me if i'm wrong but what is it exactly and what does it do transcatheter pulmonary valve therapy if you can so just i'll just that. take away all the jargon and say putting yes. in a valve with the help of a catheter you imagine the surgeons they have to deal with replacing valves ha huh. normally the surgeons have go in open the heart and put the patient on cardiopulmonary bypass and then take out the existing valve and put in a new valve suture mm-hmm. that valve in close the chest open the, they had opened the chest etc etc so it sounds Absolutely. sounds pretty traumatic yes <laughs> so on the other hand with advancements in technology we are able to now go from the neck veins you know in the groin vessels that reach the heart we are able to go through those vessels either in the groin or in the neck and reach those valves and actually implant a valve with the help of catheter technology without actually having to open the chest 
so this is very exciting to to a lot of people because it offers a very minimally invasive option but the decision to put a valve who needs it who's going to benefit of it is very nuanced we have to go into every patient's specifics do the imaging discuss with one another and decide who is the best candidate and who will benefit most there's a lot of thought that goes into this whole process right right so the But- process involves basically you know the valves that are there you know mm-hmm. that that the companies are manufacturing essentially mount these same the, the same contagra valve that i talked to you about is actually mounted inside a stent a stent is a metallic mesh that right. can be expanded yeah so the valve is fitted into that stent and sutured that stent is then crimped onto a balloon that balloon is taken over a wire which is placed across the pulmonary valve and expanded very precisely at the site where we want the valve to sit it oh. takes a lot of expertise to do this right. it takes a lot of uh, imaging a lot of uh, uh, experience to also do this but the results can be very gratifying and the patients can feel much better absolutely i mean if it's just going through the groin and it's not like an open heart surgery it definitely is a, a gratifying sort of a procedure probably for the doctor as well i i'm not sure i mean of course you are the person you are the authority on what uh, you know what makes you feel how but uh, that that's such a relief uh, at least from a patient point of view or at least from a point of view of someone you know who might have someone going under the knife for something like this Uh, yes that's true what you say about gratification Our, my personal gratification does not come necessarily from avoiding the knife it comes from getting the best outcome for our patients you know the patients should have the best possible long term results whether the knife is avoided is a smaller issue that's definitely a comforting thing uh, to hear honestly is So just one last question what are the benefits of uh, putting these valves uh, through a catheter what are the benefits of something like this so avoidance of surgery is still uh, the biggest benefit because the redo operations that the surgeons have to undertake on patients who have been operated previously often these patients have had two or three surgeries because the conduits have had to be changed a few times so when you go back in again it's very traumatic and yeah. very very long it takes a very long time the surgeons have to struggle for hours on end mm-hmm. so avoiding that is without doubt the biggest advantage for patients the trauma is minimized and the recovery is incredibly faster right. that is the biggest advantage any other advantage that uh, you know comes to mind no not really see at the end of the day we have to give the best outcome to the patient we have to get back the patient's heart to as close to what nature designed hmm how you do it is probably less important than what you need to do eventually so i think at the end of the day we need to give our patients the most durable solutions yes that's true that's true especially especially now when you want the exposure in a hospital to be as less as possible we thought we were done with it last year we thought we were done with the pandemic last year but no <laughs> but uh, thank you so much uh, you know dr kumar for this tiny ray of hope the silver lining 
I mean, I have uh, definitely learned quite a lot. I do have uh, someone in the family who is uh, going through something like this, and they are an adult now, right? So they've gone through that twenty-five, uh, thirty years ago. They've gone through that open surgery, and now all of these things are uh, easier. Uh, for them so thank you so much dr kumar for actually sure. explaining the whole thing to us uh, congenital heart disease is most definitely a very tricky illness to deal with i just hope that after this episode we are all you know you uh, our listener and uh, anyone who's listening along with you is feeling better equipped to deal with this issue That's it for this episode on Health Charcha. If you want to know more about the diseases discussed in this podcast, please initiate a discussion with your physician. To get updates on Health Charcha, follow at HT Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, or LinkedIn. And to listen to more such podcasts, log on to htsmartcast dot com or suno nai nazariye se. This is a public awareness initiative supported by Medtronic. Views expressed are independent views of Dr. R. Krishna Kumar, intended for general information and educational purposes only. They do not constitute any medical advice. Please consult your physician for any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition. The doctor makes no recommendations or endorsements of any products or services. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast